This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You're listening to Goodfellas Minute 111. I know I'd go from rags to riches If you would only say you care Hello and welcome to Goodfellas Minute, the only podcast that analyzes the Martin Scorsese picture Goodfellas one driveway in Queens minute at a time. <laughs> I am Josh Flanagan. 
I'm here with Ron Richards. We're just, we're just getting less and less original as the as the movie goes on, aren't we? It's just a lot of Queens driveways. <laughs> so you're gonna we're gonna talk about this minute. You'll see what I'm talking about. Also, here with Connor Kilpatrick. This is gonna be things like one color black minute at a time. It's really <laughs> mundane. It was very much a Queens driveway. <laughs> it was. It really I mean, was. that's like that's all I could focus on. I got half my notes are about that driveway. And of course, our special guest this week is television and film producer, and of course, mafia expert David Uslin. Hello, fellas. I thought there wasn't a mafia, Josh. Well, yeah, wait, wait, wait a minute, David. How can you be an expert in something that doesn't exist? Well, it does <laughs> exist. It does exist. Be yeah, careful. Be we careful. Just, we just can't talk about certain things, you know? Right. <laughs> exactly. So uh, this minute starts with uh, explaining the title of the movie. And it ends with a nice reminiscing in that driveway in Queens. I guess my, the first place to start is my first note, which is that Goodfella, Goodfellas, that's, that's a term that was made up for the film. Mm. Is that correct? No, that's not correct. Okay. Wow. I tried to find the etymology of it, but... Right away with the expert. Yeah. But I'm that, happy that, to be wrong in this scenario, because I didn't you know, know. I had a question mark at the end of my note about it. It was, you know, that's that's something that's, that's you know, been around for a long time. I'm not even sure if it's a whole, if it's a mob thing. I mean, like, you know, back in the day, like in the, you know, 20s and 30s and like during the Depression and shit where you had to like rely on people to, you know, keep your family alive. You were, you know, you were good people. You were, you know, a good fella. You know, I had old school like Jewish relatives in my family who uh, who kind of used that phrase back in the day. So I just think it's, uh, you know, it was, it was just one of those things that kind of described who you were. I found myself wondering while listening to this monologue or the VO monologue about it, what they would have done with this if they had kept the title Wise Guy. Yeah, I feel I feel like Goodfellas as a movie title is a little more friendly, right. you know, than Wise Guy. Like Wise Guy's got a little bit of a snark to it. Like, ah, he's a wise guy, you know, like it's it's a you know, but like I feel like as if Henry really sells it in this speech, it's like you know, you'll like him. He's one of us. He's a good fella. You know, like he's right. a, he, you know, and it, it makes it a little more. I just totally I want to put my, I want to put my arm around it. You know, he totally sells it, and he waits two hours to do it, which I think is pretty strong move. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I, I and I think that, and, and this is again, we talk about how you know things that have crossed over from the movie into our real life, and numerous times I uh, do it to you guys, Josh and Connor. I, I, I will I will introduce someone and say, "Oh, you like him? He's one of us." You know, like this That's whole con- this whole concept of somebody who who's in on the, not on the scam, but in on the deal. Like, yeah, in on the thing. Yeah, exactly. Our exactly. thing. Yeah, our know, thing. Uh, do you guys remember that that old TV show, Wise Guy? Yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. One? Ken, Wall. Ken Wall. Yeah, I wonder if that had any influence as to why they didn't use that name. Oh, it absolutely did. Absolutely, because it was on it was on TV at the, at that time, at the same time. Was it? So I, I, yeah. always, I guess. I guess. I guess it was. Yeah, no. In my in my research, I forget where I saw it, but it was cited that they they did not call it Wise Guy because of the TV show. Yeah, so. yeah, it was on eighty seventh and nineteen ninety, so right in the heat, right in. The yeah, heat. yeah. Oh, so I think my Italian grandfather he used to love that show. <laughs> he, he really did. Yeah. So, Josh, is this the most Queen's minute of the whole movie? Not only the front of the driveway, but the final bit of the shot of the back of the building. I almost felt like I was back in Forest Hills. I do love these Queen shots, though. I mean, these things. This could be, you know. It's totally Queens, but it could totally be a place like you know Bayonne, New Jersey. Well, well, well. Uh, I'll to peel the peel the cover back on it. It's actually not in Queens. What? Uh, this was filmed. That the location of this house is on 80th Street at Shore Road in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Really? Yep. Hmm. 
So yes, it does look very much like a Queens house, but it also looks like a Brooklyn house because it is a Brooklyn house. And the reality of it, honestly, the, this so so what we're referring to is you know at the beginning of the minute, Tommy gets into a car with Tootie and and Vinny, um, who's played by Scorsese's father. And they and at the end of the minute, they take him to where the ceremony is going to happen for him to be made. And there's the, the odds are that this is not in Queens. This is probably in Brooklyn, back in the old neighborhood. This is probably a, a Vario house. This is probably, a, you know, like Paulie's house or something like that. So, you know, while it does look very Queens, it's also very Brooklyn. And that's probably more real, realistic of where they are. The location for shooting where they arrive, where the ceremony is supposed to be, that's in Brooklyn? That is in Brooklyn. Is I have the exact address. In is. Bay Ridge, which well, you is, know, I mean, that's Bay Ridge is a little was, like Queens. You know, to throw a little bit of history at you, you know, that was the one of the main, you know, hearts of the Lucchese crime family, which is what all these guys were a part of. Yep. And, uh, you know, back then, I mean, each of the, the big organized crime families, they definitely had their own territories in all of the boroughs, uh, including New Jersey. But, you know, Bay Ridge, that whole area was had, had such a job, you know, had such an influence by the, 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 the Lucchese guys. Yeah, and specifically Paul Vario's crew, we, we talked about it in the, early in the, in the movie, in the beginning of it, but like the East New York section of Brooklyn, that was mainly their territory where they started. I'll tell you, Henry, you know, I knew Henry for a number of years and spent some great time with him when we shot things like AMC Mob Week and a few other documentaries that I've done. And, uh, and he and I just became friends the last, you know, number of years of his life. And he, you know, in his old age became very, you know, he just had a, 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 a big distaste for a lot of the people that he grew up with and that were friends of his at a younger age. But Paul Vario, in his eyes, till the, you know, the day that Henry passed, he had so much respect for this guy. And, you know, from what I have heard from people who knew him, you know, this was a guy who was very unique during this period of time with the mob. You know, he was so quiet and so subtle. And, uh, you know, he was the type of guy where if you saw him on a street corner, you would never really know or think that, you know, this was a guy who was so powerful in the criminal underworld. And I always just thought it was interesting that, again, you know, Henry talked a lot of shit about a lot of people, but with somebody like Paul, you know, he just had that respect for him until uh, until the end. And I think I think they, they reflected that in a lot of, in a lot of scenes in the movie. And I think even here in this one shot of, of what might be his driveway, um, he's got six lion statues. Yeah, I think that there's if, if, if there's any representation of someone who deserves respect, he doesn't have one lion statue. He's got six. <laughs> Well, I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta show what's up. So, Connor, yeah. just to answer your question uh, earlier, no, it is not the most Queens minute. No, <laughs> apparently not at all. So there's that. So I guess the the cat there is out of the bag. It wasn't really supposed to be in it, but we have our first guest on the show who knows Henry Hill. Or knew. Or knew him. So, <laughs> yeah. so David, as you mentioned, you you you, were, you became friends with them for several years. What was that like? I have always had a. A passion for mob history. Uh, it's just the Jersey boy in me. And, you know, it's a small world. And you get introduced to people, and people introduce you to other people. And when you look at things from a historical perspective, and you know you're not trying to get something incriminating or something out of somebody, uh, it's pretty surprising how certain people will open up to you. And, and Henry was introduced to me by, uh, by a mutual friend. 
And, you know, it's, it's that whole, I mean, you guys get it. It's that whole East Coast thing. I mean, like, it doesn't matter who you are, but, like, once you sit down, you know, over a cigar or whatever with somebody and you're coming from the same area and you kind of, you just can relate. And that's the way it was with Henry. And we, uh, you know, we, 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 we got along really well and, and he loved telling stories and I loved listening to stories. And he opened up you know, a number of times, and we captured a lot of that on film, like if you go and look at the AMC Mob Week stuff, you know, some of that stuff was was really emotional that we got out of Henry, and, you know, he led a a, a crazy, crazy, crazy life, and, you know, was super sick at the end of his life, and I think that, you know, when when you're at that kind of moment, you reflect a lot, and you kind of look back on uh, on what things were and and family and all sorts of things and and he became very re- reflective and shared a lot of stuff, especially on camera that I never saw Henry do before. And uh, but it was it was great, man. I mean, the stories he told were awesome. He grew up during such an unbelievable time of American mob history. I mean, he grew up when, when, when so many things were happening, it just at that one very moment. You know, things like, you know, Idlewild, the, the airport that eventually became Kennedy Airport, you know, just when that whole era of theft and the, the pillage of, uh, of what became Kennedy Airport, it was, it was during a time where you had things like the Colombo War and all of these big factions fighting each other in New York, and he grew up in the heart of that. And uh, and even though he was, you know, he had Irish blood in him, and he couldn't be a a full member, you know, he was about as damn close as you can get to being, a, you know, a full blown, you know, mobster. And because of that, the stuff that he witnessed and the people that he met, I mean, his stories. Like, he had this one story of meeting John Gotti for the first time when Gotti was super, super, super young and just coming up in the Gambino family because they used to share, again, whatever they were hijacking from the airport. And they used to all go to the same bars and hang out with people. And again, it's pretty interesting when you talk to somebody and he's talking about all the crazy people he met in his life, but when he talks about people who were true murderers, true evil in his eyes that was a very short list and people like john Gotti were on that list and again you know hearing it from him some of these these events and these moments in time it was pretty awesome so how did he think of himself you know he uh he knows that he made a lot of mistakes in life i mean he knew it and like mm-hmm. he made a lot of mistakes and he was very you know regretful in my eyes, of some of the stuff that, you know, he got into and how drugs brought him down and that was the, the downfall of his life and, you know, kind of what happened to his family. And, I, you know, he was, again, he was very open about that stuff uh, towards the end. But he knows that he wasn't a saint. You know, he knows that there was a lot of shit that was, you know, fucked up that he did. But then again, you know, he would talk about some of these other things, like other people getting clipped and disappearing or these events or that event and you know he would talk about it differently you know the stuff that happened in the life it was just thought of down to the core as something so different than again you know how his life was with his family and and those personal relationships outside of uh of the mob world 
So there was, there was definitely just a line in the sand when he would talk about different things, which I always, which again, I, I always thought was interesting. Now, how, how much accuracy, I mean, I know there's no way for anybody to actually know without being there firsthand, you know, kind of experiencing it, but, you know, but through the book Wise Guy and then through several other books that Henry was involved in writing, and then as well as appearances on like Howard Stern and stuff like that, there's come into a lot of question the accuracy of his memory. I mean, listen. I mean, guys, this, when you, when you, you know, when, when you mix the amount of narcotics and everything that that guy ingested in his life into, you know, into a normal brain, I, I, I can't imagine what it would do to somebody, you know, so there, there were a lot of things that, you know, weren't very accurate and there are other things that were very accurate. And, uh, and again, it's all about posturing yourself, you know, posturing and making yourself, you know, look as strong as you can. And, you know, when, when you're talking to anybody from this, you know, world, you gotta, you gotta just remember, you know, the, these guys are, you know, these guys are criminals. Ron says they're just hardworking guys. Just hard. Listen, they, they just, they're just trying to make ends meet. That's all they were trying to do. They, hey, listen, there are some of them that do. And there are some of them that are forced into this life by their families, you know, and, and those are all those are different kinds of stories. I think Ron's specifically referring to the spider incident. <laughs> I love that scene. That's something that has been called into question is whether or not that actually happened or not. Whether or not spider actually existed or not. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't think that that particular scene happened. Personally, I, I've never heard anything that showed me that it did. But what it does show is, I think, a really good reflection of, of the character that Joe Pesci was portraying. That character in real life it was about as great of a portrayal of him as possible. I mean, the guy who Pesci was playing, Tommy DeSimone, I mean, this guy was a, a maniac from everything that I have read and learned and, and talked about. And this guy was, you know, one of those guys who was just a blood-crazed lunatic. And one of those guys where you, I mean, you never knew if you were going to be killed or if you were going to have drinks and, 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 be, and wake up the next morning. So I think on, on that side, you know, that was an important scene because it shows how crazy this guy was. Yeah, and, and we're going to talk a lot more about Tommy DeSimone this week in the later episodes this week. But we've also reflected on the fact that throughout the movie, he's a kind of a pastiche of both Tommy DeSimone, mainly Tommy DeSimone, but also Paul Vario's son, right? So, yeah, but you know, Tommy Tommy DeSimone again. You know, this guy was he was a part of the new breed. You know, of these mobsters that was a good again a good reflection of you know what was happening at the mob at the time. You know, you think about some of the names of the guys that, you know, a lot of people remember in the 80s. You know, people like John Gotti and people like Gaspipe Casso and these fucking guys who were maniacs. I mean, like, literally, who were maniacs. Like, it wasn't the, it wasn't like the guys of, uh, of yesteryear who, uh, you know, were respectable and who followed orders and who wanted to, you know, stay in the shadows. This was a new age of kind of flashiness. And, you know, and, and walking around with your with your chest out thinking that you were untouchable, literally. And again, I think that Tommy's character was a, is a great portrayal of of that next generation mobster, which really is the, you know, the generation that really started the decline of, uh, of the American mafia. We're talking a lot about the history because there's not a lot happening in this minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
to go back to the minute, I did have one note I wanted to, to make was uh, when, you know, after we see Tommy getting into the car, and then it cuts to Henry and Jimmy having breakfast at the Sherwood Diner once again. Jimmy just working a cantaloupe. Is it a cantaloupe or is it a grapefruit? <laughs> it's a can. I think it's a cantaloupe. Oh, it might be a grapefruit. No, I don't know. Would it might be a grapefruit. It might be a grapefruit. Well, I'm going to assume it's a grapefruit because that's what my fun yeah. fact is about. Okay, yeah, yeah. So my fun fact is there are 85 drugs which have an interaction with grapefruit. Really? Many of them are uh, adverse, including oxycodone, all of you listeners in the Northeast. <laughs> if, if, you, if you have oxycodone and grapefruit, it actually uh, it enhances the exposure of the drug. I did say that out loud. Yeah. I literally was prescribed Percocet. Which is oxycodone. Well, there you go. Do you have any grapefruit in the house? Yes, I have a lot of grapefruit in the house. Well, there you go. I'm not saying you should do that. I'm Uh just saying, you know, careful. Also, it's bad for kidney stones. Yes, it's bad with a lot of things, actually. I I never touch the stuff. Grapefruit, not not oxycodone. Oh, it's it's in season. I don't like grapefruit. In the winter. Well, I got got two questions for you guys. Number, Number one is, Actually, one is a point. You know, if my uh, in a couple years when my little girl is a little bit older, she's going to look at this scene and she's going to see that phone booth out back that's in that scene and ask me what that is, which I think is crazy. We're going to talk about that on phone booths tomorrow in more depth, but yes, it is crazy. That is crazy. My second question, though, is, you know, any scene in a diner Uh. brings back fond memories. (laughs) Oh, Ron and I have spent a lot of time discussing diners, diner menus, what we like to eat at diners, open face sandwiches. It's funny because actually somebody uh, somebody commented on the on our Facebook page at good, at facebook.com slash Goodfellas Minute about the diner culture, and I believe he he had mentioned that he was some, he had grew, grew up in New England and wasn't really exposed to the Mid Atlantic New York New Jersey diner culture until you know college or so, and it really is a, and and like what I like about it's a part of life. It's a part of no, but what I like about it in this movie movie is that we've we've moved as these guys have gotten older have you noticed that we've moved from seedy nightclubs and bars to di- to the diner or yeah. the place where you can get a good breakfast exactly exactly which i which i like that transition good. because yeah yeah so. it's like that line somewhere in connecticut where there are no more diners north of there yes <laughs> it's you know looking at living in los angeles all i am is jealous you know looking at any kind of diner scene it's one of the true losses of moving from the east coast to los angeles is it really is. diners and bagels and pizza and chinese food there's a longer list than i thought yeah and i got and i know david i know you can relate i mean you grew up in new jersey i grew up on long island i mean so, very similar long island being slightly better but <laughs> we we all we all there's there's literally nothing better than it being two in the morning and you go and we want to go to the diner, yeah. and you just and, you, and the diners. It's always open, and they they might be surly, and they might be the service isn't great, but they sure will take your money and they'll give you food, and it's it's, it's a wonderful delicious. thing. I yeah. feel like I feel like every single important event of my childhood culminated or took place somehow or had something to do with a diner and being yeah. a diner eventually. And like knowing the different diners, like there were different diners for different times. Oh, absolutely. You know, like, like I know, like for example, like if, if we were if we wanted to go to breakfast on a Sunday morning, you know, as a family, whatever, we go to the Dixills Diner. But if it was late at night, we're coming home from something, go to the Candlelight Diner. Like there are different there are, there are different spots to go to, and it was. So what's your diner go to? Different class of diners. There's yeah. the classy one with the parents, and then there was the the down and dirty one to end up yep. at 2 a.m. and uh, and uh, you know. Yeah, so, man, I, I I do miss that. So I am I am jealous of these fellas and and Robert De Niro digging into that cantaloupe. Uh, yeah, 
I just hope you have a kidney stone. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, re- I remember specifically in high school and college, we used to go to see, there were, used to be punk shows in Lindenhurst on Long Island, and then just down the road from the venue, there was the Nautilus Diner, which was just, which was, oh, we, we, and 30 kids would roll in at three in the morning, oh. all sweaty after the punk show. See, <laughs> we, <laughs> our, our diners, our diners in Jersey, it kind of reminded me of like West Side Story. You know, you had different... <laughs> You had different groups hanging out at different diners. You had the Pilgrim Diner that was all Cedar Grove. Then you had Versailles that was like all like kind of weirdos from Caldwell. And then you had, you know, Park West, which was all the the classier folk. And, you know, it's like invading somebody's territory when we used to go in there with droves of people. And, and it, was, it, was, it, was, it was pretty awesome. Well you, well, you grew up in the Wild West in New Jersey. We were a little more civilized on Long Island. But, um... <laughs> I'll get I'll give you that. What I do appreciate about the, the 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 New York Metro, New York, New Jersey Metro area diners was their wonderful use of mirrors. Those, <laughs> those places just had mirrors everywhere. everywhere. There were mirrors on the outside, mirrors on the inside. It was just, everywhere was reflected. It was very sure no one steal fork. Very bright. <laughs> it was very very bright as well too. Yeah. Oh God, it was great, and you could always get the three colored cookies, the three colored cake cookie. You know, uh, the first of the rainbow cookie, man. That oh, was... the rainbow cookie, yeah. Oh, geez. I... Sorry. All right. I got, should... I got one place in LA that I'll go to for a rainbow cookie. That's it. Great. Why do we do this every time, Ron? Every right, time. I'm going, I'm going back to the minute. So, in okay. order to get put into the books, in order to get made a member, you had to be. You have all, all your relatives had to be traced back to the old country. Right. Now, how did you do that pre-internet? Ancestry.com. Nope. <laughs> See, I've already got you. No, no, because they would, they would say, you would say, uh, your family is from this village, and they would go, they have people in Italy who they would verify that. So there's yeah. fact checkers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But you would just, you would automatically know, though, you would, sometimes you wouldn't even need to, you know, check any, you know, really check. I mean, if you knew intimate things about, you know, Corleone or, or certain places in Sicily, I mean... You know, you, you know when somebody's a full-blown, you know, Italian yeah. or Sicilian. And... It's an insular culture anyway, so they all, yeah. the families are all going to know each other if they're, yeah. uh, if they're legitimate. Yeah. Hen- Henry and Jimmy are kind of victims of a glass ceiling here. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, we're, and we'll, and we'll, get, in, we'll, and get, we'll get into that. We'll get into that later this week, too. <laughs> Just racism, really, Josh. That's what I'm getting at, basically. I don't think it's racism. I think it, I, they're, 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 it's not racism. <laughs> I also want to notice that that driveway that they go into at the end. Yeah, that's a, that's a rough driveway if you're not expecting it. Well, it's also when you when you've got when you've got large men in a large yeah. car, you're gonna scrape that back bumper every time. Yeah, yeah. every it's time, a, and you're gonna curse when you do it. You're like, ah, damn it! I don't know why it happened this time again. <laughs> I mean, that's one of my favorite things though about this movie is the cars. Oh yeah, and these this, some of these cars were just so classic. I feel like every one of my friend's fathers owned one of these, whether it was one of these huge Buicks or one of these huge caddies. They don't make cars like that anymore. They don't. You can climb into the engine to work on it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like driving in a living room. You it know? was great. Yeah, that was great. Nobody cared that they went, you know, 11 miles per gallon or 9 miles per gallon. Uh, I remember, although it wasn't a Cadillac or a Buick or anything like that, but one of my, fir- my, my, one of my early cars in high school was my family had a 1979 Capri Classic station wagon. Jesus. And my father used to laugh saying that he did not worry about me driving it because he said I was surrounded by several tons of steel. Yeah. And that even if something happened, the, the odds of it getting to me were slim. We, so, had, a, <laughs> we had a station wagon that was just like that. Did it, did it have the... The, the rear window that went down the rear yeah. 
window. Oh yeah, yep, yep. Oh. And the deck, the seats would go down in the back to make the deck, and yeah, oh, that was great. I, I miss that car. I love that car. <laughs> so anything else in this minute? That's all I got. <laughs> the fuck count is two, and they both are in the voiceover. A rare fuck in the voiceover. Two of them. Wow. Yeah, two. Yep. Wow. Well, there you go. That is going to do it for minute 111. We, we pretty much did it for 111, about a minute and a half there. You can tune in tomorrow for minute 112. Until then, you can check us on Twitter at GoodfellasMin and on Instagram and Facebook at GoodfellasMinute. Got that? You can find all of our episodes over at GoodfellasMinute.com. And if you want to support the show, you can go over to GoodfellasMinute.com slash support where you can find the link to Patreon.com slash GFM where you can support the show directly. Or, of course, you can uh, use the link to Amazon there and shop. And then we take just a little taste of all that stuff. Uh, anything you want to email us about, contact at goodfellasminute.com. And that will do. We will see you tomorrow for Minute 112. Or will I go from a rags to return? My fate is up.